This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Footpad. Recently, we here at the Word of the Week, half of us, tried to order an early Christmas gift for a friend from what appeared to be a respectable website. But after placing the order and receiving a confirmation from the site in question, and we promise this has to do with the Word of the Week, after receiving the confirmation and requesting some further details from a customer service agent to clarify a particular statement in the confirmation, we discovered that thanks to some fairly deceptive practices, what we'd ordered was not what we'd get, nor would it be delivered when it was expected. And we're paying a lot more for it. In the indignant email we sent demanding our order be cancelled and our money be refunded, we referred to the entire thing as highway robbery. Well, to be honest, we described it as blank highway robbery. We assume you can fill in the blank. If you need a hint, it was a gerund being used as an adverb. But we digress. This isn't about vulgar gerunds or deceptive business practices. It's actually about that phrase, highway robbery, which, while it isn't vulgar, is pretty deceptive. It involves two ideas, one of which comes up semi-regularly in fantasy adventure games. One of those ideas is actually pretty old and came into being a long time before the medieval period on which our favorite games are loosely based. The other is actually a pretty recent idea that really became a major thing well after the medieval period. The deceptive thing is that the part you think is relatively modern is actually the old one, and the old one actually really became a huge thing in the modern era. We're talking, of course, about robberies and highways. And we're also going to talk about how this all relates to Dungeons & Dragons specifically. Because we also have to talk about footpads, which is the actual word of the week. Let's talk about old editions of D&D, class titles, and name levels, just for a minute. Now, if you're a gamer, you're familiar with the idea of arbitrarily measuring the power level of a character in a game with something called an experience level, or just a level. The idea is that as a character goes on adventures and has valuable experiences, they become more skilled at whatever it is they do. So as they adventure, they gain experience points. And when they've accumulated enough experience points to cross a certain threshold, they've become demonstrably more powerful than they used to be. They have gained access to new, more advanced abilities. They've hit a new experience level, right? Well, it used to be that in Dungeons & Dragons, every experience level for every given profession had a title associated with it. A first-level priest was an acolyte, a sixth-level warrior was a myrmidon, and so on. This gave players an in-game way to talk about their character's power level without having to refer to a weirdly artificial and arbitrary game construct-like experience level. At least until you hit a certain point where you had truly mastered your profession. At that point, you hit the name level, and you were allowed to actually call yourself a member of that profession. And then usually there was one more title above that to reflect that you had mastered your profession. But what does that have to do with anything? 
Well, it put the designers of various versions of D&D in the position of having to think up a lot of synonyms for the same profession. Take, for example, the thief. That's what we used to call a rogue before the whole class hired a public relations firm to spruce up its image. Thieves of various levels were called rogues, footpads, cut purses, robbers, burglars, filchers, sharpmen, magsmen, thieves, the name level, and ultimately, master thieves. Now, the designers were just choosing synonyms because they needed nine titles for the same thing. Accuracy wasn't foremost in their mind. But we here at the Word of the Week love that sort of thing because we can nitpick the accuracy of the whole list. For example, we can point out that the word magsman is an Australian phrase, of all things, and didn't show up until the 19th century, and it refers to a confidence trickster or con artist that's derived from the word mag, meaning rapid, babbling, speech, or prattle. Fun, right? So, given that we started by talking about highway robbery, which particular anachronistic synonym for thief are we going to take issue with today? Well, if you know anything about poetry or Celtic-inspired pop music from the last 30 years and a little bit about the derivation of various words, you can already guess. If not, you'll just have to wait and see. So let's talk about a poem. A very famous poem by a very famous poet that we have a very personal experience with. And to do that, we have to talk about romanticism. Obviously, the Middle Ages weren't exactly a high point in European history, especially for the common folk who lived their entire lives under the joint authority of absolute monarchs and the church. And in a sense, you can say this all culminated in the Thirty Years' War. Now, we've talked about that hugely destructive conflict before, especially in our episode entitled Mercenary. Basically, it began with a group of Catholic scholars trying to reform the corrupt Catholic Church of the era and forming their own sect of Christianity called Protestantism. It ended with every major power in Europe choosing a side and utterly destroying Central Europe with, as the name suggests, 30 years of off-again, on-again conflict that ultimately ended the political power of the Holy Roman Empire and left 8 million dead from conflict, civil unrest, famine, and plague. Good times. Now, after Europe recovered from the Thirty Years' War, a whole bunch of scholars like Galileo and Newton and Descartes and others started spreading ideas about drawing conclusions based on objective evidence and rational thought. And they start saying crazy things like the universe follows certain knowable, measurable laws. And that the earth isn't the center of the universe. And that maybe the only thing you can rely on is your own reason to figure out what's really what. And with literacy increasing and better and better printing methods growing out of the old printing press, an anti-authoritarian and pro-reason sentiment spread across Europe. We call that the Enlightenment. Sounds great, right? But fast forward a couple of centuries, and people start to think the Enlightenment wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Because the Industrial Revolution was starting to kick in as a result of all that advancement. And new social structures were coming into being. And with it came new forms of misery. Like working in dangerous, polluted environments in overcrowded cities in which disease was running rampant. And rigid social structures based on wealth and status. 
and a general feeling of materialism. It was a cold, cruel society that didn't care one whit for the people in it. And people were ready for something with a little more heart and hope and humanism. And along comes Jean-Jacques Rousseau's 1761 novel, Julie, or The New Heloise. The title is a reference to an old medieval romantic tale of the story of Eloise de Argentuil and Peter Abelard. In Julie, the titular character falls in love with her tutor, Saint Pro, but she has been promised to another, an elderly baron. Julie marries as promised. The baron knows of her love for Saint Pro, but trusts Julie to remain faithful and hires the saint to educate their own children. In the end, Julie's virtue prevails despite being stuck in the torturous marital triangle. And man, did that book sell. It was a huge hit, especially because Rousseau wove in ideas about virtue and about human passion and how they were more important than dispassionate reason. And thus began the Romantic Movement. The Romantic Cultural Movement was an embracing of literature and art that was more concerned with emotion rather than reason, with passion over clarity and a focus on the individual conscience rather than the social rules and order. It was basically just a rebellion against intellectualism and social order. And it was a very broad movement. There aren't really any qualities that define it except for the focus on passion, rebellion, and personal conscience. Oh, and a lot of the stuff from the Romantic period harkened back to the older medieval period. Medieval stories were revived and reframed and, well, romanticized. That's where we get that phrase from. Many of the stories we associate with the medieval period, like the story of King Arthur or Robin Hood, actually got rewritten and romanticized during this cultural movement. Meaning, a lot of our fantasy games actually owe their existence to the romantic movement. Neat, huh? Anyway, there was this poet, Alfred Noyes. He was born in 1880 in Wolverhampton, England. His father was a well-educated man. A grocer and a teacher, he educated Noyes well. And Noyes attended Exeter College in Oxford. But he left before he earned a degree. He didn't want to study. He wanted to write. And he was a romantic. In 1902, at the age of 21, he published his first collection of poems, The Loom Years and it received great praise and acclaim from the public and from contemporary poets like William Butler Yeats and George Meredith. He published several other volumes and became famous in Britain and the United States. And among his most famous, most celebrated works was a 200-page epic that was published in a serial magazine about life at sea called Drake. And the other was a ballad-style romantic poem inspired by such greats as Tennyson and Wordsworth. It was called The Highwayman. And in fifth grade, an elementary school teacher who was trying desperately to get us to engage with our schoolwork challenged us to memorize and perform that poem. And we, with no interest in poetry, but with an inability to back down from a challenge, we did it. And it stuck with us ever since. The Highwayman tells the story of a, well, a highwayman, a, a robber who would, on horseback, rob wealthy travelers on the roads of Europe. A highway robber. 
you see where we're going with this, right? Now, what you have to understand is there had been a huge problem with highwaymen in Europe, especially in Britain, especially between the mid-1600s and the mid-1700s. After the English Civil War and the death of Queen Anne, Britain had become increasingly lawless. No one was policing the roads. And a lot of cavalrymen who survived the English Civil War found themselves out of work as a result of frequent changes in the political situation in Britain. Combine a lack of police with a bunch of unemployed armed people who own their own horses, and you get a society rife with highway robbery. And this is pretty much when the phrase highwayman first came into use. And the phrase highway robbery. And it's also where the phrase stand and deliver originated. When a highwayman attacked a coach or postman, they would demand that the driver of the coach stand and deliver their purse, lest they be killed. More importantly, though, it's also when another term came into existence. Because there were armed highway robbers who didn't have horses. They would pad around on foot, robbing people. They were called footpads. And that's half the reason why we say that the words footpad and highwayman and the general trope of highway robbery are anachronistic for Dungeons and Dragons. Those terms didn't exist before 1650 or so, and highway robbery really became a cultural phenomenon at the same time. But only half. The other half has to do with the Romantic period. See, Noyes' poem, The Highwayman, wasn't just about a criminal robbing people. It was actually a tragic love story. The highwayman is in love with a girl named Bess, the innkeeper's daughter. And he's after a big score so they can run away together. But a group of soldiers take Bess hostage to draw the highwayman into a trap. She kills herself to save him. And when he realizes what has happened... He attacks the soldiers and is himself killed. The Highwayman was a romantic hero. Incidentally, if you'd like to hear a beautiful rendition of this poem, check out the song by the same name by Canadian singer, harpist, and pianist Lorena Isabel Irene McKennett. Born in Manitoba and of Gallic descent, McKennett developed a love for music as a result of her involvement with her local Anabaptist church. Anabaptists, also called Mennonites, owe their origins to the same Protestant movement that led to the Thirty Years' War and the fall of the Holy Roman Empire. Due to religious persecution, they fled Germany and the Netherlands to both Russia and North America during the American colonial period and settled and among their many rules is that the only music allowed during church services is the unaccompanied singing in unison of the congregation. Although she originally studied veterinary medicine, her discovery of Celtic folk music during a trip to Ireland led her to leave school and pursue a musical career. She combined the choral style she'd learned in her youth with Celtic folk music and other world music, especially Mideastern to develop a unique musical style that brought her a good deal of success after she released her first album in 1985. She is still releasing albums and performing to this day. And we, the both of us we, 
if you'll forgive our editorializing, love her music. Especially her rendition of Noyes' poem, The Highwayman. Now, we said the non-existence of certain words before 1650, and the escalation of highway robbery at the same time, were only half the reason why we think highway robbery is an anachronistic trope for D&D. The other half of the reason has to do with the depiction of said robbers. See, in Noyes' poem, the highwayman isn't a bad guy. He's not a criminal. He's a romantic hero. He's a rebel who follows his passions and his own conscience, even when it brings him into conflict with authority. Often he meets a tragic end. See, during the Romantic period, the highway robber and the footpad were reimagined as noble heroes. It's also during this period that the legends of another famous English highway robber, Robin Hood, were rewritten to depict him as a hero of the common folk who, incidentally, was driven by love as much as by his own conscience. And that's why the noble, charming rogue robbing from the rich to give to the poor and rescuing his true love, the footpad, and the highwayman just aren't accurate to the D&D time period. Those ideas are too new, too modern. Romantic. So, what part of the highwayman is actually older than you might think? Well, believe it or not, the word highway is actually a very old word, even though it sounds pretty modern to our ears. It goes back to ancient Roman roads. Now, roads and highways, traveled paths on which people, animals, and vehicles move from one place to another, are pretty ancient things. The oldest were just paths made by animals as they migrated from place to place, and the earliest use of such paths regularly by humans seems to have been around 6000 BC near Jericho. The Ur example of stone paved roads comes from the city of Ur and dates back to about 4000 BCE. As the Bronze Age caught on, metal tools made it easier to pave roads, and the development of wheeled vehicles like chariots created a demand for roads. By 2000 BCE, paved stone roads in major settlements were a thing. But there was also a demand for roads between settlements, especially as empires grew. The Persian Empire was spiderwebbed with roads, including a 1,500-mile-long super road that was maintained and operated by the Assyrians starting in about 1200 BCE and which ran between Susa in the Persian Gulf to Ephesus in the Mediterranean Sea. Really, it was more of a track than a road. More impressive, though, was the Minoan Road from Gortina to Knossos across the island of Crete. This engineering marvel was 12 feet wide, 30 miles long, and it ran over the mountains of southern Crete and topped out at an elevation of 4,300 feet. The road was built of layers of paved stone. More importantly, it was elevated in the middle and included drainage ditches along the sides. And it's the oldest paved road still in existence today. However, when it comes to road systems, you just couldn't beat the ancient Roman Empire. See, road systems are very useful. They allow goods and people to travel quickly across your empire, much more quickly than getting lost over trackless open terrain. And when we say goods and people, we mean soldiers and supplies. The Romans were really big into the military, remember? 
And so they started laying roads across the empire in 334 BCE. And by the time the empire was at its height, they had constructed 53,000 miles of road. And they didn't mess around either. They built their roads in straight lines from point to point, surmounting any obstacles in their way. They would build over hills, ravines, mountains, and even across marshes and lakes. Their road construction started with two parallel ditches to either side of the road. Usually they were between 30 and 40 feet apart. They'd pile the material they excavated from the trenches to build a foundation for the road itself. Atop the foundation, they'd build up the road with layers of coarse stone, gravel fill, and paving stone. The Latin word for layer is strata, and that's where we derive the modern word street. But the Romans only called the roads that existed in towns strata. The roads that ran from the capital to all of their other cities in the empire were called via. And from that derived the Old English way. Anyway, once finished, a Roman road was a paved street or way that was elevated about three to five feet above the ground and with long drainage ditches along either side to prevent flooding and erosion. And you might think that the height of such streets and ways was the reason for the word highway and high street. Not quite, but close. The high part comes from an old Germanic word, hia, which does in fact mean elevated or high up. In fact, the word hill comes from the same root word. But certain roads were called hia ways and hia streets because they were elevated in importance. They were the main street of a town, the high street, or the main road between two points in the empire, the highway. And those two phrases, high street and highway, entered the language around 1200 CE. And so, as we said, highways have been highways a lot longer than you think. But highway robbery and highway robbers and footpads as romantic heroes really didn't become a big thing until at least 1650. Until that point, you just had despicable criminals holding travelers up and taking their stuff. Just a bunch of lowly thieves. Speaking of lowly thieves, we have to go call some of them and demand our money back again. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by The Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com.